Hi, and welcome to the next episode of the Broken Foundation podcast. I'm here this week with my guest, Grant, who's from Jirogumo. How are you getting on? Not bad, yeah, good, good. Today we're going to talk a couple of bits. We're going to talk about Grant's band, uh, and then we're also going to talk about uh, his involvement with one of the venues in Glasgow, 13th Note, and a couple other bits and bobs in between. Maybe if you want to introduce yourself to the people listening and um, sort of like how you got into music and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, I'm Grant. I'm vocalist in Jorogumo, uh, which is a Glasgow-based. None of us are actually originally from Glasgow, and there's only two of us actually live here. Uh, so yeah, we're always Glasgow-based. Scottish, I suppose you'd say. Yeah, we're like a Glasgow-based death metal, sludge, thrash, hardcore band. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a mix of everything. You listen to, to the, I was listening to the Rot EP. Um, yeah, just before this, just to, to get it back in my head, there's a lot going on. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I, th- I mean, you've got five people in the band, and everyone's got kind of different backgrounds. And I mean, a couple of them didn't even really sort of start off in metal and heavy stuff. So yeah, I mean, I'm sure you know yourself when you've got you know more than a few people in a band with loads of different influences and different backgrounds. Everyone's kind of fighting. You always get that bit of tension for how things are going to sound and. Even little things, you know, you'd be sitting thinking with like a finished bit and one person will be like, I'll just put an extra drum beat in there. So that's that's kind of what happens. I mean, the majority of the, the EP was written by one of the guitarists, Nick. It was me and him that kind of formed the band. So most of it was written by him. A few other pieces brought in by the bass player. Other guitarist, Adam. Original drummer, Matt, as well. So yeah, everyone's just kind of throwing ideas in. Definitely understand that premise of everyone kind of has an idea of what the band should sound like. Yeah, but yeah. that that idea isn't the same across the board at all. And oh, like totally, even totally. even the slightest like changes, like people could get like a bit bent out of it. I remember we were like arguing about what the band should sound like, and someone's like, "We should be more thrashy, hardcore," and then someone else is like, "No, we should be more hardcore." That's the same thing. Like, just calm down. Like, yeah. you know, <laughs> just oh yeah, out. yeah. I mean, we've definitely had you know, as as everyone band does, you get that moments in the room where you know someone comes up with something, and you're kind of just looking, and it's like, no, that's that's cool, right? And everyone's like just shaking their head, going, no. Nah, no. I mean, that, that, that ain't it, Chief. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but so, then other times, someone will be messing about in the background and you hear this, like a, a millisecond melody or a bit of a riff. And before you know it, a couple of weeks later, that one second bit has turned into like a full song. With the original five of us, at one point, the only band that we all had in common was Queen, which we all thought was a really good basis. If, if there was one band everyone liked, obviously we sound nothing like that. So it's a, it's a, it's an odd kind of reference. Obviously, Queen are somewhat influential in like a lot of metal bands. Mm. I know that um, uh, obviously James Hetfield's quite famously a fan of Queen. It's an interesting thing because obviously you guys sound nothing like Queen <laughs> at all. Um, but it's cool that like you can have that shared basis for like influence and there's things you can you can take from it at least and go forward with. Definitely, definitely. Mm. Whether you're kind of like a fan of Queen or not, I mean, even if you just listen to how they put songs together, and obviously, you know, Freddie Mercury, greatest frontman ever. Yeah, so it was. It, it seemed like a good basis, even though we sounded nothing like it. It, it was a good basis for uh, Queen to be that one band that we were all like, yeah, definitely, they're shit hot, definitely. So when did the band start then? Band started in. 2017 officially really i think i'd been in touch with guitarist nick for maybe a little while before that and we'd always kind of i think we'd both just been sort of individually looking for bands or looking for other band members and we'd always just kind of kept it in mind and sort of said to each other well, you know if if you find something if it looks like it's starting to go somewhere start getting maybe like the sort of basis of a band to stay in touch 
So we ended up having a jam with a different drummer, different guitarist, and just went through a couple of covers. I think we had like a down cover, a bloodbath cover, Entombed, I think. Nothing really happened. We had that one jam, but me and Nick obviously still kept in touch. There was definitely a kind of shared bond with certain types of music and certain types of films and things like that. Uh, so yeah, we kept in touch. And over the next kind of three, four months, people just kind of fell into place. Uh, bass player Chris got in touch with me. We had another guitarist, uh, another second guitarist, Kieran at the time. He he ended up meeting the drummer, Matt, who was working in Sleazy. So yeah, just, I mean, the same as kind of all bands. Like, started off a couple of us and just over a, the space of a few months, everyone else just sort of fell into place. It's still me, Nick, and Chris from the kind of like original lineup a few years back. Adam joined about a year later. Uh, and we went through about three drummers almost in the space of a few months. But we now have Danny playing drums, who's amazing as well. Totally different style of playing to the other two drummers before, but things are evolving slowly, but they are evolving. I remember you telling me about your your woes with drummers when mm. uh, I was at the venue with you. We were chatting away about it. And I just remember thinking, man, I hate to hear people struggling to get that kind of like last piece when already so much there. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it seems to be, you know, either a drummer or a bassist usually is, is from my experience. Definitely, um, definitely. So how long has Danny been with you now? Danny has been with us now since early this year, like the kind of first first quarter of this year. Matt was a longtime drummer, but during lockdown, as it happened with everyone, like his his work and his living situations changed, and he just wasn't able to to make practice as much. He didn't want to be holding us back, but I mean, at the time we were in lockdown, so there was we were kind of limited what we could do. But obviously, we were kind of hoping that as soon as everyone got to go ahead, that you know you can practice and get together and all the rest of it, that we would just hit the ground running because the EP actually came out during lockdown. We'd recorded it beforehand. We were having to mix it sort of remotely and through messages, and it was a nightmare. It was horrible. <laughs> yeah, it's not an ideal. I never, I never want to do like a recording process that involves mixing and mastering in that kind of situation again. It was, yeah, it was fucking horrible. So yeah, so Matt ended up kind of just stepping back, and obviously we were kind of like, you know, drummers are like gold dust, and especially now coming out of lockdown, I would imagine that any drummer that's not available will definitely be either involved in something or looking for something. But we end up finding finding someone fairly quick. Different kind of drummer started writing new stuff. Did one gig with him. He was the same. His his work. He runs his own little kind of bakery company, and it started taking off. I mean, obviously during lockdown, I think he'd been doing a lot of like orders and deliveries and stuff. Uh, so after after lockdown, that kind of just took off for him. So he was limited with time as well. Yeah. I mean, we struggle to get together for practice as much as we like. Just with everyone's working different. Everyone like you know people are living in different places. Turning up at the best of times, yeah. Oh, totally. I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, it's bad enough trying to get a few people together, but try to get five people that are in different cities, working different shifts. Like Guitar Nick is a nurse, and he just works like a, a fucking demon. Like he's on, you know, 12, 14-hour shifts sometimes, and just, yeah. Uh, so anyway, yeah, uh, second drummer, Stephen, just it didn't just didn't work for him. So he stepped back as well. Danny had seen we were looking for someone... And he'd been kind of messaging me and he was like, well, look, I, I've, I've not played drums in, you know, about six or seven years. He's Hungarian and he's from more of like a, a punk and a hardcore background. But he was like, look, I've, I've not played drums in like six or seven years. If you're willing to let me sit with the EP, learn it, get myself back up to speeds, give it a try, see how it'll work out. So obviously we were like, well, we're not going anywhere. We're, we're missing a drummer. We're not. 
we don't have people knocking down the door. So yeah, totally. So yeah, he put in a, a few months, basically, you know, after not playing for six or seven years, learning the EP, getting himself back up to speed. And yeah, he totally stepped up. <laughs> it's funny the the whole sort of being away for a long time coming back and then just going i'm gonna get the band fuck it you know it's pretty cool I, I did something similar myself probably like 2017 2016 from yeah, not yeah. playing for like 10 years so i i definitely it's cool when a band's like oh yeah no we'll, we'll give it a shot like come on do it because you yeah. never know what you might get you know well that was the thing i mean with nothing to lose really i mean like i say we'd kind of just lost our second drummer we'd had a few fairly decent gigs coming in that we'd had to cancel so nothing was really happening we were kind of just sitting about being like at this point the, the ep had been out for about a year we'd been a band for a few years you know no gigs in a while none of this none of that so that, yeah we were that's like, quite frustrating as well like to be in that situation for you oh guys. absolutely i mean yeah. like i say i mean yeah we thought you know the ep had been out soon as we're out of lockdown we now have something to promote you know we're not just doing gigs for gigs sake we actually have something to promote and put out there so we hit the ground running and then obviously you know matt leaves we get one gig in stephen leaves and danny jumps in so i'm glad that you know because we could have quite easily you know i could have maybe like spoke to other people in the band and they could have quite easily been like oh what you know the guy's not played in like six seven years now nah, we don't have time for that but i mean yeah i'm really glad that we kind of went no let's Let's see how he how quickly he picks it up and how he gets into it, and and also to see what his spin on it is, because I mean he's coming into songs that have you know already been written and had another drummer sort of help put them together. So it was and obviously a totally different background, like music background as well. So yeah, I was I was definitely interested, if nothing else, just to see how this other guy would put a spin on things. It's definitely like it, in any kind of band. I mean, I, as, as much as it would be tempting to do solo stuff and be you know massively self-indulgent about things i always definitely prefer to work with other people it's a lot more interesting for you know someone to come up with a riff and then you know the guitarist who has a different playing style well to see how they interpret it and then yeah when you when you're finally done and you've got a four five minute song at the end of it then you kind of think back to how that started and you know these little basic riffs and sort of melodies and yeah so getting that i mean that's kind of how i work best like getting the finished song and just being like, right, I now have to do my thing. Yeah. It's always a challenge. It's a good challenge, but yeah, it's always a challenge. As a vocalist, do you come at it from a lyrics first, or is it kind of where you need to sing first? Because I know Devin Townsend does a thing where he basically just mumbles garbage to get the shape of what he wants the song to oh, sound Oh, yeah, like. yeah. To begin yeah. with, I mean, for like the heavier kind of vocals, definitely. You'll definitely have that part where you're in a room or sitting on your couch you're just kind of going you're just kind of you're filling in the blanks and then at some point you know you think you purposely well i purposely sort of overdo it to start with i'll i'll fill in every inch of the song with vocals and sort of start raining it back i mean there was probably a few bits in the ep where yeah i should have left that empty or you know, I should have put vocals in this bit instead of the bit beforehand. But, you know, you live, you learn. But yeah, definitely I'll maybe have lyrics that I maybe want to use or I'll end up coming back to that are already written. But a lot of the times I'll wait until the song's pretty much done, get like a basic recording out of the practice room, and then I'll just listen to it ad nauseum, just this instrumental until it's set in my head as like an actual song so I know it off by heart. Mm-hmm. And then half the work is kind of done for me sometimes because I'll end up playing it back in my head and it's almost like it's a song that already exists by someone else and vocals will just start falling into place yeah 
then I have to kind of go, all right, there is no vocals in the song. So I need to kind of remember all these patterns that my brain has just made up. Yeah, no, that's cool. Instrumental. So yeah, I'm kind of just plucking things out of the air and yeah, a lot of ad-libbing and overdoing the monster noises and <laughs> all that kind of stuff until you kind of whittle it down. But it's always the clean stuff, like try to find decent melodies and stuff that aren't twee or verging into like cheesy. You know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And aren't yeah. are verging into like kill switch engage territory where everything's really heroic and and overwrought. And I really want to avoid that. I don't want it to be I mean, like, you know, a nice melody is a nice melody, but when when things get a bit overwrought and overdone, you kinda of have to step back and be like, you know, we're not we're not a power metal band. We're not yeah. We're not this big like stadium filling metal core band. So you always like to keep things a bit a bit dark, a bit rough. And I'm always button heads with Nick about clean vocals. I, I try to find things that are tasteful that I know he's not gonna be shooting me a look across, across the practice room. Being, yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> so is he is he a fan of clean vocals or is he not a fan of clean vocals? He is, I mean he definitely is one of his I mean he's he said like one of his favorite band bands is, is Alice in Chains. I mean he's he's probably got more of like an old school, very simple, you know, HM2 death metal background yeah and that's what the kind of stuff he's into that's what he writes but he does have a wide taste of music but as far as like his heavy stuff is metal that's his background mm-hmm. but yeah i mean he loves Alison chains and stuff like that so he's you know he's certainly not adverse to uh clean vocals and melody and stuff like that but i think there's a fine line <laughs> yeah i have the same thing where sometimes we'll be just jamming around and then thomas our vocalist will do some clean vocals and i'm like what the fuck are you doing? Like, <laughs> like it's it, it's good. I don't have a problem with how it sounds. I just don't think it necessarily fits what we're trying to do or whatever. Yeah, then definitely, definitely. That's that's coming back to that problem of like when you're in a room, it's four or five people, whatever it is, that all have conflicting ideas of what something should sound like. It's like, for me, I always feel like I've got to try and rein that back a little bit. Try not yeah. be too gatekeepy about the sound because at the end of the day, that's his instrument. That's what he needs to do. You know, if he was to go, oh, don't put double kicks there, I'd be like, who the fuck are you telling me what to do? You know, no one ever says don't put double kick on that. <laughs> I, I know that's true. I think it is good because I mean, it, it was kind of what I was saying about like you know, if if you were just doing everything on your own, that there's there's no one there to kind of rein things back in a little bit. So I, I mean, I totally appreciate that. I'll come bouncing into the practice room and I've, I've had this melody that I've been running over for the last week and I'm really proud of it. And it's good to come in and someone be like, fuck no. We're not Miley Cyrus. We're not Whitney Houston. We're like, what, what is that melody like that? No, no. That's for a different project, Grant. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. And it's always him. I'll look yeah. at like, I'll, I'll, I'll do a bit in a chorus. I mean, I will say it's partly his fault. For all his his raw death metal background, he he does have a bad habit of writing big choruses, which I'm sure he would deny and you know argue about to the death. But he does write big choruses that need big vocals over them. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, he can't be writing stuff like that. And then when I come up with this like big ridiculous thing, he can't be shooting me looks, be like, "Oh yeah, you can't be doing that." It's like, well, don't fucking write stuff. Like that. <laughs> don't lay the groundwork for that exact yeah. thing. Then. Yeah, yeah. I mean, with everyone, it's it's good to have that outside perspective to be, you know, that doesn't fit. And I mean, there's been stuff that I've fought him over before, and you know, I've been like, "That's fucking staying." And then you know, even on the recording, in hindsight, I've kind of gone. Mm, I think he was right. <laughs> I think it's good to try and have those people that rein in the, the ego a little bit on things. Like you say, because the last thing you want to do is listen back to recordings. And we've all had it. 
everyone oh, yeah. that's recorded something's yeah. had this and you go man i was trying too hard there you know like yeah, i've had that on some drum parts i'm like what the fuck was it doing like yeah. honestly <laughs> like let's do it now like i overcomplicated this beyond the point of being necessary what would you say are are your as a vocalist your biggest influences in terms biggest of influences. how you perform and stuff I mean, I'm I'm old. I'm in my forties, so the spring chicken, Grant. Don't worry about yeah, it. so like my influences go like right back. I think I was lucky enough. I mean, even though growing up in quite a secluded place, you maybe kind of felt it the same. I mean, obviously, when I was growing up, there was no internet, no YouTube. Yeah. Where I was in that corner of Scotland, like you, you got nothing. You got no imports. You pretty much got everything from either the few shops around that either stocked. Kerrang or Metal Hammer or there used to be a magazine called Raw Power. These were like the British metal magazines. So you kind of had to get everything from that. There was a few late night metal shows. There was another one called Raw Power. I kind of that changed names to something else. And that would show videos. And that was just very sporadic. It would appear maybe every like two or three weekends out of a month. And it just showed metal videos and little interviews and things like that. So it wasn't really until like the 90s when, you know, music stores in Aberdeen, which was like the next, well, next to Elgin, which was the next closest city, you were maybe able to get like imports. And, you know, as you're getting older, you're meeting people from out and about and, you know, they're introducing you things. So, I mean, when I was growing up, I was kind of very lucky to have older relatives, like a few uncles and even my brother and sister that I was just soaking up the music they were listening to. So like my brother was listening to like The Clash and The Sex Pistols there always seemed to be someone in my family that was listening to Depeche Mode constantly. So I was always hearing them. Uh, my sister was listening to a lot of pop and stuff like that. Uh, but I had these couple of uncles that were really into very old British heavy metal, the sort of new wave of British heavy metal uh, and Iron Maiden specifically. So when I was over at my granny's house uh, around my uncles, one of them was always drawing pictures of Eddie from Iron Maiden. And there was always posters and just stuff. And I was just obsessed with the stuff. I think the first record, sort of metal rock record that I remember being into was Bark at the Moon by Ozzy. So that came out in like 1983. I was three years old. And I remember, yeah, I think they'd come home and obviously, you know, I'm just like looking at things. So they came home with a seven inch single for Bark at the Moon. And on the back of that, I don't know if you're aware, there is there's a photo of Ozzy dressed up as a werewolf. To me, even then, you know, I must have been like three, four years old. Even then, I was just like, what the fuck is this? Like, yeah. there's, a guy, there's a guy singing about werewolves. He's, there's a werewolf at the back of this. Like, I fucking love this. Uh, obviously, Iron Maiden had Eddie and, like, you know, that's, you know, a monster, essentially. So, yeah, even being really young, like, growing up around, like, horror films and metal and stuff like that. So, yeah, so from a very, very, very early age, uh, I was taking in a lot of music and, and just kind of fell into metal through these, these couple of uncles and stuff that listened to, like, Iron Maiden... Like the damned, uh, Dio, Black Sabbath, Ozzy, all those kind of things. But then I'm hearing like Depeche Mode and, and Wham and, and other things like that at the same time. So yeah, I was just soaking all this stuff up. So I think over the years, that's probably informed me more than maybe like any individual things. I mean, we've, I mean, as a band, like we've always kind of said before that uh, I think if you're wanting to be doing something interesting in a certain type of music if you're working within like a sort of specific type of music your influences and inspirations really have to kind of come from out with that type of music or that genre 
to keep it interesting because i mean i'm sure you've had it before like you know you've you've listened to a band or whether it's you know, you've seen them live and within a song or two like you know exactly what is in their music collection or you know buy the t-shirts that they're wearing but i think if, if i think if you keep doing that it just to, to me it seems a bit redundant all that There's time that. and effort to making music and you know being creative and getting together with it and all, all the headaches and all the shite that goes along with it to essentially be doing like cover versions of your favorite bands i think it definitely runs the risk if you end up being derivative within the scene that you're oh you're totally, part of totally. and like you know you brought up kill switch engage earlier on you know to a degree and i feel like that's one of those bands where so many people want to be kill switch engage yeah yeah and and mishaga are another band that i feel suffer from this where so many bands want to be mishaga but the problem oh, is yeah. none of them are mishaga no, no, no bands no. are kill switch and that's why you end up with band clones you know yeah, um, yeah. it just it, it, as great as some bands are if you're just trying to sound like adam d playing a riff and just trying to sound like howard jones playing and you just you're trying to pretend you're thomas hacker it's like it yeah. doesn't matter at that point yeah. because you need to be you external to what they're doing you yeah, can be I mean, super that... influenced but you're not going to beat the giants of some of these styles of music you know what i mean yeah it's like they have like a, a list and like a wee check and it's kind of going, you know, thrashy Swedish death metal opening riff, check. Heavy chugging verse, check. And, you know, an anthemic soaring chorus, check. Breakdown. And you can check all these boxes, but yeah, you're you're not that band. Yeah. And it's just, totally. it gets to the point where it's just, it's it's just going back to, you know, when you're a kid and like, you know, you're, you're playing air guitar or you're, you know, standing posing in front of your mirror, pretending that you're, whatever your favorite musician is. And it's just like, you, you keep, it's like they keep that mentality and just go, oh, well, I now have the skill to play the guitar or to sing or to write songs. And they just keep on with that. They've never really moved on from being that mm. kid looking at posters on their wall or watching music videos on YouTube. Um, yeah, you need, yeah, to, to jump back to it, I think you, you need influences and inspirations outside the sort of zone of music that you're working in to keep it interesting. You can hear things. I mean, there's there's melodies and stuff in the EP that one of them came from, well, not exactly, but one of them sort of was inspired, I suppose, by some of the, the Sonic 2 soundtrack, like the original Sonic 2 that came out oh, in yeah. the Mega Drive. That's which, awesome. <laughs> which, yeah, frankly, that is that is one of the most that is one of the best soundtracks ever, whether it's a game or a film or anything, that soundtrack is unreal. So there's like there's melodies that were kind of informed by that. There was a bit in another song that it was my idea of Lauren Hill doing a cover of Jolene by Doug Parton right. and the melodies that she would have put into it. And I okay. ended up just keeping those and using them in one of our songs. So yeah, like so there's there's stuff coming from everywhere. I mean, yeah, definitely within heavy music, I, I probably have my pretty obvious influences. I mean, obviously, grew up in the 80s, like, I mean, the, the 90s. I mean, as you were saying about you know, bands wanting to sound like the other bands of certain eras that are doing really well. So obviously back in the 90s, like, you know, Pantera mm -hmm. and Alice in Chains. And I mean, those were the bands that, you know, you had a million copy bands. Even now, you still get bands ripping ripping them off. And I, I, I don't know if it's because, you know, they're further, further back. People would be like, well, people might not notice now. <laughs> it's going to go, <laughs> yeah. Alice in Chains and Pantera. People are going to know. But yeah, yeah, so obviously, yeah, I mean, for, for me, probably like some of the obvious ones would be like, yeah, like Phil Anselmo, uh Lane Staley, Mike Patton, uh Maynard from Tool. 
as far as approaching certain things, definitely. And I think especially for some of those vocalists, as traditional as some of their bands were, like Pantera, they were definitely doing things. I mean, I remember when, when I first heard Pantera, like early 90s, I was just kind of like, what is this? Like, I yeah. don't get what this guy's doing with his voice over, over these riffs. And you're kind of taking influence and inspiration from everything. I mean, there was little kind of like sound. I mean, there was, yeah, going in the studio, there was, didn't want to be doing too much that I couldn't replicate live. Yeah. But obviously having the opportunity to kind of fuck about with things a bit more and layer a few things. So yeah, I mean, there's like the opening to one song, which is one part that I'm really surprised Nick didn't string me up about, where there's like breathing and these like falsetto vocals. And there's another bit, although there's these like octave vocals going up to falsetto that are that are layered together and there's uh throat singing and like gang vocal yeah <laughs> there's kind of just you yeah, took so the opportunity like, whilst in this yeah. video to kind of do, so do so yes yeah, so the influences yeah. and, and inspirations are kind of coming from everywhere really mm-hmm. <laughs> now that you've got uh you also got danny in and drums and stuff and you've you know the band's kind of up to full strength mm-hmm. what, are, what are you guys kind of planning next like what's your, your sort of next moves and steps do you think Next move, uh, so we've got a few, uh, well, we're planning, we've got a new EP we're planning to record uh, some point in the first sort of few months of next year. Since Danny's been in the band, we've obviously, and, you know, being at lockdown and everything, we've kind of gotten back into the, the writing phase. And we obviously kind of had to put a full stop on the EP at some point. But bands always make a big deal, you know, oh, we're, we're, we're playing this album in full. We only could play the EP in full because that was the only tracks that we had and it lasts half an hour so that's a set for us essentially yeah <laughs> so at some point we're like you know it doesn't matter how much we change the running order you know we, we can't keep playing these six tracks till the end of fucking time we'll start getting bored of them once people start knowing them they're going to be like oh wait wait a minute these guys are just playing the same fucking set but yeah. it's just in a different order uh, so yeah, so we were really get eager to get back into the writing stage. So we had a few bits and pieces ready to go. So once Danny was up to speed, then yeah, we just started. So we've got a few tracks ready to get recorded next year. Uh, so hopefully we should have a new EP out by summer next year. If everything goes well, a few gigs lined up. Got one our own February. Got support. We're supporting the Rhubarb in March for their album launch. Oh, cool. Yeah, so a few little bits and pieces. I mean, I th- we've kind of lately come to the realization that we're probably going to be doing things a bit slower than a lot of other bands, just because of time constraints, just because of everyone's like life and work and and all those kind of things. That instead of setting setting ourselves unrealistic deadlines, I think we have to be a bit more realistic about well, you know, if we want to do this, how many practices are we legitimately going to get in before then? You know, do we need to like record things so we're not forgetting them by next time? How many people are going to make next practice? So yeah, I think we've kind of sort of bit the bullet and been like, yeah, we're probably going to be production productive wise a little bit slower than some other bands, which is totally fine. I mean, I think it gives us a bit more time to kind of work on stuff and not just be like, hey, I've written a three and a half minute song. Here it is, blah 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 blah, and just you know, throwing out stuff that back to him being like you know that wasn't ready or that was a bit lazy that was that was just to have something out there's definitely a sense of urgency is needed for everything like especially i've noticed in the last couple of years like that seems to be how the handbook on being a band is Mm. content out every six weeks 
blah, blah, like we've all, we've all fell into the trap of thinking that's what you need to do and stuff. And it's funny, you know, you bring up, you don't just want to chuck something out there. And I, I definitely think like a lot of bands, there, there's a point where when you're writing stuff, to me anyway, you're writing an EP or whatever you're doing, you're writing a bunch of tracks and all that kind of stuff. And people go, right, we've written these five songs, we're going to pick these five songs out. And then they'll write another five songs and they're like, right, we'll keep that for the next one. And yeah. then write another one. And I'm always like, just put out the best five you have. It doesn't matter when you wrote them. <laughs> and like, does it yeah. fit together yeah. as a whole? Because I think if you try to stick to, we need to release everything we've ever done, that's when you kind of get precious about, oh, well, this song, you know, we did, we had a good time writing this one and blah, blah, blah. D like, try songs out live <laughs> and stuff like that. Oh, it's, definitely, definitely. Like, the song doesn't get a good response and you've got another three there that are pretty damn good. See one of them, see if one of them works. Yeah, um, totally. I mean, even... Even with like older stuff, I mean, like you were saying about trying things out live. I mean, even even like adjusting the running order of stuff has kind of bit us in the arse a few times. Like I think yeah. the way the track listing goes on the EP, to me anyway, is fine as as the EP. And then we tried doing it that way live, and we got to the kind of third or fourth song, and there was just this kind of like dip in energy, and we were kind of like. Yeah, live. The, the the songs don't really go in this order live. Like, yeah, we need to kind of go back to what we were like on the EP. That run in order seems fine, but yeah, playing it live, it was it was odd. Yeah, there was like a definitely a dip off, and like for us anyway, there was definitely a dip off in like energy and and there's there's definitely that aspect of you as a performer are overanalyzing absolutely everything that's happening mm. whilst you're doing it, mm. but you've got gut feeling. This just wasn't the right thing to do. I remember yes. we like swapped our first and last songs for some reason at one point. Or no, we, we originally had like the big single we'd done came out first. That was the song we did first. And it works, but it works much better at the end. Three or four gigs and we're like, it's weird playing this at the start. It just didn't feel right. And I feel like, you know, not being slavish to this is exactly how we're going to do it forever. <laughs> and mm -hmm. being able to on the fly go, do you know what? Fuck this. Let's, let's change this because this isn't working. You know, that's that's... There's the live component, the organic component of being in a band is very important because that's where I figured out things about our music more than hearing it in a recording studio or listening to it in practice or like you said, listening back after practice, listen to a song to death so it's like stuck in your head. That's how I do everything. I start like at the skeleton, listen to a song 600 times over a day. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, now I know what I want all the drum parts to be. And then the next time it's a re-recorded version. And it's just like that iterative process. Yeah. Even that doesn't show me how it's going to work live yeah. um, cool. and stuff like that. Because I even imagine when I'm listening to songs that we're writing, where what lighting would be doing, like, stupid shit you can do on stage and all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. To me, it's like the live show is so important, especially for you know, our style of music. Absolutely. Um, that, really, um, I mean, that that as well, I suppose, is, is kind, of, kind of going back to the whole Queen, Fed, Freddie Mercury thing, whereas, you know, obviously, I mean, we're playing a totally different style of music, whereas I, I, I'm not really in a band that overdo the theatrics. Yeah. I think uh, playing certain types of heavy music, you have to have a little bit. You have, a little, have to have a little bit of theatrics, a little bit of sort of pomposity, and maybe being aware yourself, you know, as as heavy and as you know serious as serious as you take the music and the band, you know, you have to be very self aware and not take yourself too seriously. So I think even that, you know, strutting about on stage and you're throwing your guitar about and you're really getting into it, that at the same time you, you're kind of maybe aware of like the absurdity of it all. 
Yeah. Um, so you definitely put a little bit of theatrics into it, even subconsciously. I mean, like I, I mean, a lot of gigs. I for that half hour, I black out. You know, when when the first song starts or the sample comes in, I end up zoning out, and then before I know it, it's it's half an hour later. All right, the gig's done. How did that go? You know, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm 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 in the zone, and I'm not really paying attention. I'm just listening to stuff, and it's almost just like a like a knee jerk thing, especially because when if you know the song so well, mm -hmm. uh, because we've had those the EP songs for quite a while now, that you can kind of you're not switching off, you're still getting into it, but you're kind of just doing it a lot more naturally. You're not even aware of what you're doing. So then you'll yeah you'll watch back videos and you're like, what fucking moves am I pulling there? Like what am I doing? <laughs> like, it's, yeah. it's, it's good to have that like yeah you it, it, i think being aware i think with us there's that little kind of bit of sarkiness and a, a little bit of pomposity there's always like a bit of a kind of a wink and a head nod with us i always get there's there's that little bit of kind of i, I wouldn't say like arrogance but there's a little kind of like a little knowing smirk yeah it's like you, sort of you know what along. you guys are about you're you're not it's like because I feel like there's a lot of bands, especially in like heavier, more extreme genres, they are like they almost enter into parody a little oh, bit with, without realizing. But I feel it's fine if you're aware that you're kind of taking it a wee bit too far, and that's yeah. totally fine. And yeah. Just, yeah, I mean, outside people, I mean, it's it probably ridiculous to people that are not into that kind of music or are not in the metal scene. It must look ridiculous, you know, room full of people headbanging, you know, five guys on stage, like strutting about and being you know, total fannies basically yeah screaming <laughs> and, and singing and doing these over like over the little build-ups and like you know your breakdowns and things like that but yeah so i think you're kind of aware of it and i think i think as a band we are very aware of it and I, I, in, in in heavy music in general there is a a shocking lack of self-awareness with some people and bands and stuff like that and i don't understand that like take the music seriously but like certainly don't take yourself too serious yeah there's a couple of points from this conversation that i want to dive into so you know when you're talking about your earliest influences you were talking about stuff like iron maiden with eddie you know bark at the moon with you know with the werewolf and stuff yeah obviously the name of the band did you get this from the the sort of yokai is like spider woman yeah, sort of thing? Yeah, yeah and so is that kind of that monster extrapolation like for the band is like was that kind of a, like a conscious thing that ended up happening or is it just kind of it was a cool name and then it ended well, up fit. Yeah, yeah. There is the one side of it where, you know, again, it's that, you know, self-awareness thing where you're kind of like, you know, we're a metal band. Does this word look cool in old English font? Yes. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yes, 100%. Um, can can we do some can we do some drippy bits on it? Yes, we fucking can. Hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent though. Like so yeah, I mean, yeah. like, yeah, I mean everyone like, you know, oh, what's the name of that? I mean at its basis on the bottom line it will always come back to you know does it you know will it look cool as a logo and is there suitable you know tie-in imagery to go along with it so you know what i mean so yeah like the, the the story of the kind of you know the woman changing into the spider monster and uh all that kind of thing so yeah i mean that that definitely fits and i think person i mean we had a few other ones that were kind of up in the air at the time and we ended up settling that so I think even maybe kind of going into like this to the story about the, the whole thing of like, again, it's maybe a bit cheesy, but you know, with everyone having different influences and a lot of different genres and sort of types of heavy music that are going on in like, in one song that that kind of thing of like, you know, change and things being transient and obviously the spider imagery and stuff like that as well, definitely fit in. 
also Joroguma was a bit of an awkward fucking word. Uh, and it personally, is. I quite like that it's a bit awkward for people. It's my it's, uh, that's my petty little way of just fucking with people a little bit. That it's an annoying word, even for us. I don't know if it's just because we're Scottish. I mean, we've got guys in the band that aren't Scottish, and I think for everyone, it's it's a bit of an annoying word. Like the syllables and stuff are in a fucking awkward place. It's just like it's just a, a little way to annoy people. You've got an annoying band name. I hate saying it. You go, okay, good. Yeah, you're like that's 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 why I fucking named it that. I mean, it's definitely that self awareness. Like uh, I'm in a metalcore band, so we're verb the noun. You know, it's like it's very mm-hmm. much. Like that's just it's it's not not what's expected of the genre type thing, but it's like it definitely does it fit like the vibe. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. Yeah. And then there was the other thing I was gonna talk about. Yeah, you were talking about bands who take themselves too seriously and stuff. Well, as we're going to talk about, you work in a venue that deals with bands that come in and stuff. Mm, yeah. One of the questions I was gonna ask you is like, what are the sort of things that bands or promoters should know when they're approaching a venue for a gig or if they're booking their own show or even turning up on the day. What is, in your experience, some of the things that people really unknowingly maybe, but totally fuck up every fucking opportunity? Oh, it's it, it's always the same things. I mean, again, both of us being musicians, I, I imagine that we both meet a lot of people that are just dickheads. Yeah. Just, they have that thing that at some point they've kind of gone... Oh, well, you know, I'm in a band, so I'm like these guys on TV and in magazines and on and music videos and stuff like that. So, you know, I'm fucking awesome. So, you know, I'm above everyone else. So, yeah, I mean, people coming in with that kind of attitudes. And it's like, you're just you're, you're just playing in a shitty local band. It doesn't matter what fucking genre you're playing in. Mm. Like, you're you're one in a million. And you're playing, like, you're in a shitty little band. You're playing in a shitty little venue. Who knows how many people are going to come? Don't get overly proud because, you know, Half the audience is made up with your family, like you know, they're yeah. they're there at a pity more than <laughs> like. So yeah, people coming in with that kind of attitudes. Um, I, again, I mean yourself being a like doing promotions and doing podcasts, you know, people not replying to emails, people not giving you tech specs, you know, all these little things that you know, and then you'll maybe have. I mean, it's probably more frustrating. I mean, if a whole band turns up and they're all dicks, then you can at least know what to expect. You've already kind of got like, right, I I need to treat these guys like this. This is probably how the night's going to go. Yeah. But if you've got like, you know, and I mean, there's plenty of bands like that going about where, you know, two thirds of the band are sound as fuck. And then you'll have one or two members that are just, that are just arseholes and are unbearable. And you couldn't possibly confirm. Oh yeah, I mean yeah, like, yeah. People that are like, oh well, you know, I I I just turn up with, with my instrument, and that's you know that's that's the end of my involvement. And yeah. you're kind of going right, well, and then they're kind of going. I mean, one thing that we've had a lot at the note, and it's it's always a bugbear for either the other bands playing or for the same people. It's people that have gotten brand new fancy equipment like guitarists and wireless sets. absolute worst and you're kind of going you do realize you are literally standing two feet away from your fucking amp like unless you're planning on doing like a lap of the building you don't need this and they're like oh i haven't got any batteries oh it doesn't work blah 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 and they're insistent on using this wireless setup and you're like you are standing right in front of that amp i can give you a lead that's a meter long and that would be too much but yeah like so yeah 
things like that. Uh, I think we had a guy come in, like you know, uh, did sound check for the vocals and everything else. Didn't tell the sound guy that he was planning on using a megaphone at some point. Jesus Christ! So he whips the megaphone out mid sets and just feedbacks everything. Oh God! And then he's getting really fucking arsy with the sound guy, like, "Oh, you need to fix that. There's loads of feedback and too much noise." And of course, the sound guy's going twenty minutes sound check. You didn't think to mention. Oh, by the way, and they're going just the so they're trying to shout down the length of the room, going, "Don't use it into the microphone. The megaphone on its own, like on its own, is loud enough. Just don't do it in the microphone." But of course, the guy wants the look of like. He's got his head. I'm going to look cool standing with my megaphone into the microphone. So he's insistent and it's just fucking, yeah, and it's destroying everything. Like everything's getting pushed into the red. Um, So yeah, yeah. I mean, there's always, as as, as you know yourself, there's always the same, like, you know, 10 or so usual suspects of things that bands do to either fuck off the other bands, fuck off promoters, or fuck off the staff that are working at the venue. Yeah. Um, all of which, by the way, are very important people that you don't want to piss off. I've spoken to quite a few promoters before, and it's just like, venue staff are far more important than I think a lot of, specifically people in bands, realize. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, you you can tell when a band's been around for a little bit, and they, you know, they go to a lot of venues, they're usually pretty cool with the venue staff. Yeah. Because they understand that those people are, like, they're just there to do a job and, like, hopefully not have two shit a night. You know what I mean? Like... Well, I know that maybe sounds like quite negative in terms of like a band, but when you see a lot of grassroots level music, a lot of it needs extra work. Like, you know, yeah. to be very honest, you know, we've all been there, we're all doing it. And just be nice, you know. Like, I remember when we were in Ireland, there was like every night one of the bands would give the bar staff, like, they'd give them like a t shirt each or something like that. Yeah. Just now, I'm not saying you need to do that because that's kind of, you know, merch is money and all that kind of stuff. I get it. But it was, hey, thanks for coming and hanging out and thanks for like working the, the venue and stuff. And then you do get that one person on the, in the venue staff who's a total dick, you know, in, in one of the bars I can think of in, a, in, a, in Ireland. They decided to put fucking candles in glasses on the tables at a metal gig. Yeah. This is not a good idea. So I t- took all of them off. I thought I got all of them. One of them ended up getting smashed and his glass fucking everywhere. And then they were getting annoyed because they were having to like pick it up. And I was like, well, don't put glasses in front of a fucking mosh pit. Like it's it's just like dumb. Like, yeah. And like, you know, the tables are bolted to the floor. So that's fair, you know, like whatever. But like, you don't need all the, the glass and the fire amongst people, yeah. you know. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's be, be uh, you know, the whole adage of be kind to people, be nice to people. It's like very important, especially if you're traveling around in grassroots music. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, yeah, like you say, I mean, you, you absolutely have to be respectful of the staff because, you know, a lot of times, I mean, it, even with like the, the 13th note, I mean, we are essentially just a room that gets rented out. You know, we, yeah. we do put on our own gigs, but, you know, 90% of the time it's it's outside promoters that are just getting in touch with us and you're literally just renting the room and hiring at the same guy. So for most of the staff there, I mean, they're probably not into your music. They to them, it's just a shift. Yeah. So yeah. you know, whatever you're pummeling them with, whatever kind of music it is, you know, take into account that they don't care. They've probably tuned out. Like if they're if they're working on the bar in the room, that they've probably tuned out at some point. That they're not listening to you. That if if anything, you're more an inconvenience for their shift. Yeah, they're trying to lip read. 
and figure yeah, out they're what like, drink yeah, I, someone wants. <laughs> they're like, yeah, I went into I went into my work, you know, expecting just a, a regular shift, and God, there was this fucking metal band, and God, God, and the guy was just screaming and fucking, oh God, it was awful. Everyone smelled bad, and <laughs> by the time sound check had happened, this, the place smelled like someone had been, you know, sick out of their arse, and it was fucking horrible. But at the same time, I've, I mean, I've, I've definitely been in places where you just get fucking attitudes from the God. staff, and it's like. So you, so the whole night is just, you know, regardless of what's going on on stage and your your half hour, forty minutes on stage, there's just a kind of shitty atmosphere, and you can just kind of do without it. Really, yeah. I mean, you know, gigs can be, you know, stressful as it is, even with little things like loading and sound check and sticking to curf curfew, and you know, everyone has their set times and stuff like that. That you know, when you when you're there and just hanging about the venue, you, yeah, you don't want like a, a shitty atmosphere, mm -hmm. basically. Yeah, whether it's, whether it's bands or staff or promoters, um, and I mean we've not done a huge amount of gigs, but I think we definitely run the spectrum of difficult bands, difficult promoters, difficult like venue staff. We've definitely done all that, so we've we've kind of seen all that just from like the the handful of gigs that we've done, mm -hmm. um, and it's never nice. No. I mean, it's, it's it's very rare that you get a gig that you know runs exactly according to plan but there's all these little things that that just makes it a lot a, a, a much more pleasurable experience for everyone involved if you could give one tip to band slash promoter coming in to make the day easier what what would you say from just specifically venue side of it just yeah just i mean yeah as we can already said just rein in the ego really yeah mm -hmm. um you should approach a gig as if you know no one's coming or as if it's your first gig or you know it's it's a special treat that you've been you've been asked to do this um you know be humble be be grateful again don't don't take yourself too seriously because because you're probably the only one that is doing that um mm. yeah just yeah like you know if 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 you're working with like a, a separate promoter that isn't part of the bands you know they they have their you know load in this time sound check this time bands these times nothing's going to run according to plan like you know every time but try and like try and work with them as long as they're not being unreasonable try and work with promoters try and work with the venue staff and you know, even the bookers like the people that are booking it um just don't be a dick leave your yeah. fucking ego, leave your ego at the door and 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 don't be a dick I, I... At some point like regardless of what level you're at you know whether you're you know a signed band like a celebrity band or if you know it is literally your first game like yeah as the old adage goes you don't know who you're gonna meet again along the line and people will fucking remember shit like that yep if you're a headlining band it's a support band if you're really dismissive and like dickish to them because you know oh they're just the support band that the booker got in to fill in a slot like be be grateful that they've come to, to fill out the night because the night could have been totally different if it was two bands instead of three and that band that's playing their first gig they'll fucking remember that they're, they will remember their first gig and they will remember that one band that were arseholes to them and uh, you never know who's going to be a, who's going to be in a different position in ten years' time. Oh yeah, you know, even with the like, promoters, like on I, on on both sides, like don't 
yeah, you never know that at some point along the line or, you know, word of mouth. Because, I mean, like, Scotland's not that big a place. No. Um, <laughs> and, and each city and town, I mean, like, the the, the heavy or the, the, the metal scene is a very small fraction. At some point, you're, everyone is going to run into probably everyone else. If you're still go, if you're going, if you're if you're like on the promotion side or in the plane on a band side, you're gonna have some sort of interaction, even on the fringes with most other people at one point or another, and people will fucking remember that. Yeah, yeah. one of the, one of the things I was gonna I want to ask you about is in terms of like your your perspective of Glasgow's grassroots music scene. Try to use grassroots music scene as opposed to local music because I feel like there's a different thing i'm talking about so from an outsider's perspective now obviously you're technically an outsider that lives in glasgow or you know yeah yeah is in glasgow a fair amount do you think that the glasgow grassroots music scene is too fragmented from its sort of genres but does it matter because it's actually a big city and there's lots going on anyway like, oh definitely i mean yeah i mean there's a lot going on i mean i'm i'm a bit of a hermit so i i don't drink so the only bar that i'm in is the one that i work in go out for a bit of food and stuff like that, but I'm like a bit of a hermit. So certain music, I mean, there there's obviously a lot of different music scenes in Glasgow. You know, some of them are oversaturated with, with shite as it happens. But I mean, I mean, as far as like the heavy music scene in Glasgow and sort of roundabout, even maybe going as far in Edinburgh, it's not great. I mean, I'll be perfectly honest, it's, it's not great. It, again, you know, ego lack of self-awareness arrogance it's like yeah it's not great there's yeah there's always something you know you, you know you're always doing a gig or you're at a gig or something and there's something that just makes you shake your head you're just kind of just like what the fuck is i mean yeah i'm not saying that everyone should be pushing the envelope but i mean it like in in scotland and probably in, in britain as a whole the the heavy music scene whether it's rock or metal or fucking hardcore or whatever there's a lot there's a lot of shit there's yeah. a lot of shit because i one, one of the reasons i'm asking is because i feel like sometimes uh, a lot of people refuse to do mixed bills type like type things yeah yeah and i feel like a lot of people as well like if they perceive whenever a band or a promoter or something where they're from or where they're coming from is like lesser than mm -hmm. they don't they definitely. don't engage definitely and i think it's 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 a, an interesting case uh, when, so we recently played in Dundee and that was uh, with Jute City Hardcore. They put on the show for us. Hmm. Now that's Gary Lato, who's part of Truth Ruiner and they're, they're very much have ties with Make That A Take and stuff at Conroy's Basement. And it was very interesting. There was quite a few people there from Glasgow. I think they're cool people, not they're the cool people in their scenes specifically. Like they're just like sound folk coming come along to a show. And um and a lot of people remark, like, I don't even know why people bother playing Glasgow anymore. And it's just, it's a funny thing because typically I've noticed Glasgow's our worst city for playing in, for below the neck. Yeah, yeah. Specifically yeah. because I feel like a lot of people in Glasgow don't necessarily support something else. Now, I'm not going to complain, sit here and complain and say, oh, this isn't fair, blah, blah, blah. At the end of the day, Glasgow's the centre of music in Scotland, however yeah. you want to look at it. That's just the fact. Um, well, that's yeah. I think that's part of the problem is that for Glasgow as a whole, that's that's kind of a given. That's a known thing. So a lot of people, again, going back to the whole ego thing, and I mean, I've been living in Glasgow now for 
like 18 years, just over 18 years. So, I mean, Glasgow in general has this very, like, you know, oh, we're Glasgow, we're this, we're this fucking city and, you know, everyone thinks this and we're, and we're very cultured, but we're also a very tough city. And there's, there's, there's this very, like, for a lot of people, there's this very arrogant, you know, I'm from Glasgow, kind of. As if it matters, you sort of thing. Yeah. And yeah, the bigger the city, the, the worse the attitude is. So yeah, it's like you say, you know, like you've got people coming in, coming in outside gigs, coming like Dundee and that from Glasgow. And yeah, you'll see some of the people that are, are sound as fuck and you know there's there's very little ego going on and you know they're there to support and whether it's you know friends and bands or bands that they genuinely like but then yeah as you say you will get that people it's like you know oh well you know we are we're from glasgow we we don't have to show any respect to bands from smaller or like you know outlying places because they don't matter what we are doing is the important thing definitely i mean we've done a, a lot of gigs where it's very cliquey like we've turned up and not only are we the all i mean we're always the odd band out yeah <laughs> i don't think we've played a gig yet where we've been like oh yeah these bands are like us which is kind of good for us i mean we you know we've we've done full-on like kind of death metal all dares and had people coming up and being like you know you guys totally stood out because it was you know the whole day was just sort of just like the same thing for it, yeah, it was <laughs> yeah evolving into like this like blast beat and and guttural monotone thing for like you know eight hours of the day and people kind of going you know you guys stood out because you weren't just doing that i mean yeah we've obviously got a lot of death metal influences and a lot of like heavy vocals and stuff but you know we're not just you know we never just kind of say you know we are this kind of band but again it's the same thing you know because because not all of us live in glasgow and we're not all glaswegian and again, it's kind of like, you know, how you were saying, you know, you're certainly not going, oh, it's not fair, but, you know, we're, you know, a, a lot of people are turning their backs on us because we're not in this sort of cliquey scene. Uh, we're not in that whole sort of Gumby metal booze culture thing that a lot of, like, you know, the bigger cities have. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, fair enough, these people are all friends, but there's this, like, there is this very, like, just this very sort of dumb, cliquey attitude about all of them. And yeah, and if you're not like in their circle or <clears throat> part of that particular heavy scene, you know, regardless of what type of heavy it is, that you you miss out on a lot of opportunities and, you know, you, you're kind of getting the, the, the shitty end of the stick with a lot of things or because you're not playing a certain type of metal or a certain type of heavy stuff that because you know these scene makers or whatever you'd call them because you're not part of that that you you're pretty much getting ostracized to an extent yeah because one thing i was I, mean, I used to be a lot more annoyed about it, it's not the right word but like very much aware of and like felt awkward about is like we're like on this like weird verge between metalcore and hardcore where like we have all the attitudes of hardcore bands but like we're not actually interested in being hard men because we're all soft teddy bears who just like having a laugh and stuff hmm. but at the same time we're also you know we like pretty solid music and, and was solidly written metalcore and hardcore and stuff yeah, yeah. but like it's that way where uh we're too like metalcore to play with hardcore bands but too hardcore to fit with metalcore bands hmm. in a lot of ways um yeah i know there's a band uh, of friends of mine called negative hmm. measures and they're from brighton and yeah. their thing is they're too hardcore for the punks and too punk for the hardcore and it's very you know it's it's a funny place to be 
which allows me when I'm booking to just be like, I don't, I'm speaking stuff I like and I think will work together. Yeah, I'm not yeah. necessarily like this needs to be the mm. entirety of like, I wouldn't just be worried about just having a thrash show or just a hardcore show. Yeah, I'm like, okay, I like this band, you know, like one of the band I really like right now are Hard Stare. Um, they're like really, really cool from Glasgow, mm. different, mm. different people involved, right? Um, but they do like crossover thrash stuff. Is that, I think, is, is that uh, some of the guys that were involved with the uh, divide? I think, well, I know that uh, Lev from Kingpin, he's Kingpin, he's sorry, vocalist. not Side, Kingpin, yeah, yeah. So he's the vocalist, and then uh, I can't remember the rest of it. I think Billy from Disposables in it as well, yeah. Um, yeah. But they're just like fucking cool, <laughs> at least like nine minutes of music or something like that, and their whole thing because they're thrash, you know, that's what they do. Um, but like, it's funny, like, I would love to have them on a bill with us because I'm like, I A, really like them, B, I think they're cool uh, musically. And they're like, you know, sort of from the area. And I always want to make sure there's local, locally based bands mm. on shows. Like, I never want to go and play in Leeds and have no one from Leeds on the bill. Makes no sense to me. Yeah. Like, as a promoter and as a band, it makes no fucking sense. Um, and a lot of times, I, I always want to offer bands, you know, like, oh, you play on our bill when we come to your time. Like, we'll do the gig swap thing, you know, like, but like, I'll actually pay you. Uh, <laughs> all that kind of yeah, stuff, you yeah. know. Because I know travel's not, you know, free. Um, but it just it astounds me the amount of times people just don't react in like a, a positive way to the opportunity. Because for me, if anyone offers us a show that I don't have to book, I'm like, fuck yeah, let's try and do that. I, I book for majority of our shows, probably 80% of all the yeah, shows we've ever yeah. played, I've put them on in some form or fashion. And so, like, for example, Duncan, who does Red Crust through... Oh, yeah. I Duncan's, you know, like, Duncan's a legend, right? Duncan's, Duncan's given like, us, like, some of our earliest opportunities. And he he's does. always really good. And, yeah, yeah. I I'd always, always enjoy working with Duncan. Yeah, I have a lot of time for the guy. Um, I feel like he gives bands opportunities. Uh, and not in, like, a, oh, I'm giving this band an opportunity. He never books a show wanting a show to, like, be bad. He's like, no, nah, I want the show to be great, and I want the bands to have a good time. Yeah, I just, I do, I just know that people can be difficult sometimes if you know they're not in the right place on the on the the bill in yeah. their head. You know, like as I always say, everyone's a headliner in their own head. You know, and I think it's very important, especially if you're being taken to go somewhere else. And this isn't just Duncan. This is for any person who promotes or books oh, in the venue or anything. If someone gives you that opportunity to like go somewhere that you don't really regularly play. And you don't have to put it all together. To me, I'm like, as long as I'm not opening because I'm not from the city, like that's my one thing. I don't want to open. I don't really want to headline in a city I'm not from. And if yeah, I don't have to, yeah. I don't have to fucking put all the time and effort into putting the show together. If I just have to tell people about it and you know promote it a bit and be there and play the show and have fun, fucking right, I'm doing it. Yeah, totally. And it comes back to that thing you were saying about Scotland's a small scene. You know, if you're a dickhead, things will get around. Hmm. I'm not going to name names because that's not how I do it. But like, there are bands I won't ever work with. Oh, absolutely. Because, yeah. because of experiences I've had with either people in those bands or people that I really trust that I know kind of have exactly the same morals and values I do. They're like, these guys were fucking arseholes. I'm like, well, yeah. you know, yeah. and the thing is like, I'm not going to seek out other people to be like, don't book these people. I'm just going to be like, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, People can take their own chances and do what they want. That's up to them. But like, there's certain bands I like, and I like their music. But like, I'm not. I don't want the headache. 
it's just not it's just not worth it and and yeah, yeah. especially if i'm working with a venue like for example i've i've booked in your venue a couple of times put a couple of shows on like i don't want to bring a bunch of cunts into your venue yeah. to have to deal with i don't want to bring cunts into tooth and claw which is my home venue that i book for and stuff simply because the people that work there are nice people i don't want them to have to deal with it yeah totally i mean probably i mean on my side as well like working in a venue it's it's kind of good as well because it's almost like testing the waters with certain things you know whereas mm -hmm. You know, you've probably had it, whether it's a, a show that you've booked or a show that you're playing, where you, you, you maybe get there either and you're kind of like, oh, well, you know, it'd be cool to see this band and, and maybe see this person and been listening to their band for a while. And then, yeah, you find out that they're, they're arseholes mm -hmm. um, in, in whatever way that applies. So at least I think for myself, seeing gigs going on, I, I can kind of be like, all right, I saw this band coming in and playing the other night. I'd rather not do a gig with them if the opportunity came up because I could, you know, because they were fucking dicks. Or on the other side, and kind of be like, oh, you know, I, you know, had a conversation with these guys. You know, we've already spoken about trying to organize something for the future. So it's 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 kind of handy for me on that side sometimes that it's it, it, you can kind of get a, a bit of forewarning that you've seen how a certain band acts and reacts with the staff and the crowd and you know, the customers and stuff to keep that mental check to be like, I don't want to deal with these guys again down the line. It was bad enough having to deal with them in the capacity of work. I certainly don't want to have to deal with them when it comes to playing an actual gig. And trying to have fun. Because another thing as well, like work, I do venue repping for Tooth as well when whenever I'm needed. And um, if I see a band come in and they're total dicks, to other people but like not not to me necessarily but if they're just being difficult and pissing about and not sound checking properly and not loaned in properly and all this stuff and then like you know a couple of weeks later they don't realize that i was maybe there and yeah. doing the door and they're like oh hey would you like to play a show would you want to book us i'm like fuck no you're an arsehole like i what like it's that thing of like how do people treat you when they don't know who you are and what you do yeah. that I, I like to use that as a basis on how i treat people a lot more definitely yeah. a gig I can't remember what it is. I'm, I'm certainly, I certainly can't name names because I can't remember exactly. But there was definitely a gig that we played. Might have been this year, earlier this year. And I remember one of the bands I think had played at the Note like sometime in the past, and there was a hassle. And uh, yeah, they were just fucking dicks about stuff, and it was just carry on all night. And then yeah, get into a gig. I think it was earlier this year, and I could kind of forgotten, but I remembered what one of the guys looked like, and it was almost like that kind of way. Like I'd, I'd heard him before I'd seen him. Like, oh, it's that fucking guy. And it's all the, you know, as you have that awkward bit, you know, as all bands are turning up for loading and, you know, they don't know each other and they're all like, oh, hey, how's it going? I'm so and so, we're playing and blah, 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 blah. Handshakes, fist bumps, all that kind of shit. And the guy's face visibly fucking dropped when he saw me. He'd remembered as well that, you know, there was fucking hassle at this gig we played at the note, blah, blah, blah. Obviously, he's totally unaware. You know, he's he met me that one time. I can't even remember what the fucking hassle was. But then, yeah, I, I come walking into the venue playing a, a show the same night. And, yeah, the guy's face just visibly fucking dropped like, oh, shit, here's someone that knows that I'm an arsehole. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and it's, so, it's yeah. not in, like, a superiority way, like, of knowing, oh, these guys are pricks, blah, blah, blah. A lot of people would rather not deal with hassle. And I think yeah. it's, it does kind of come back to no ego stuff and, like, we all have to have that as performers and as yeah. people within and it does come this is the scottish music scene whether you like it or not whether you want to admit it or not 
Scotland is kind of one music scene, really. There's yeah. certain people that refuse to be part of that, and that's cool. It's up to them. Um, but like other people talk to other people. There's certain people, you know, fuck them out the window. Like you just you don't want to have to deal with them. You don't even want to be in the same rooms as them. You certainly don't want to be playing shows and having any sort of extended interaction with them at all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um music scenes and bands known for having fucking scumbags in them. Let's be oh, honest. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, like this is the I mean I was is. kind of like I'd I'd kind of forgotten. I mean I uh I lived in Aberdeen for like six, seven years before I came to Glasgow. Between moving out of White Hills, you know, when I was 18, lived in Aberdeen for a while, uh played in a band there. And at that point, it was like the, the, there was kind of no music scene in Aberdeen. So this is like very early 2000s. Again, most of the bands were either like Metallica ripoffs or they were just playing like generic pop punk. That was still the thing in yeah. Aberdeen at the time. So yeah, I had a band in Aberdeen, blah, blah, that fell apart as everyone's first band does. So when I came to Glasgow, uh, my original intention of coming to Glasgow was to get another band started. And I did, I tried that for about a year or two couldn't find the right people, Got just got frustrated and just gave it up for probably almost like 10 years where I was just like, you know, it's 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 not happening. I'll just, you know, find something else to do. Uh, so, you know, life and work and stuff happened. And then, you know, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly like coming up with stuff in my head and I was like, well, no, I'll just, I'll try it again. I'll give it another go. I'll have a look for people. Being out of the music, not being like, you know, flung straight into the, the music scene in Glasgow, when I got here, I'd kind of forgotten how bad some people could be. So yeah, once we started playing bands, yeah, I was like, there was de de definitely a few occasions where I was kind of like, is this guy for fucking real? Yeah. You know, you're talking to someone or you get a message from like a promoter or something. And like the way they're talking, you're kind of like, like, are, are you a real person? What is this? Like, what is this coming out of your mouth? What are you like sending to me? Like, what, what the fuck? And you're having to stop and be like, are, are people really like this? Yes, yeah. Really like yeah. So it was definitely it was not not a culture shock, but you know, I I just expected, you know, oh, get in a band, play 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 some gigs, write music, everything's easy ozy. It's a nice it's a nice hobby. But then yeah, getting into it and being like, fuck, some of these people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, interesting. Definitely. Yeah. So, in so obviously you work and sort of deal with the, the 13th note in glasgow hmm. and as you alluded to you do uh hires and stuff for the venue people in bands listen to this and stuff and i always want to try and like help people learn how to do things a bit more themselves and be self-sufficient and unlike maybe things people don't know i mean is it as simple as just emailing the venue to see if you can hire like you know what's the process in terms of people who wouldn't know obviously i do i'm not asking for me but like you know those that are maybe listening that don't know that want to maybe play in glasgow for the first time uh like what would you say is the, the best way to go about that well definitely i mean if it's i mean like yourself i mean you'll get gigs where it's you know an outside promoter it's like an established promoter so they'll put a night together so you know they email us looking for free nights and they've already got they've maybe already got the lineup sorted uh, on the other side of that, you've maybe got uh, bands that are doing it internally where they want to book a night. And same thing, they've maybe already kind of got the lineup. So, yeah, I mean, it is literally just as simple as, you know, whether you've got the lineup sorted, whether you're uh, an outside promoter or whether you're doing it internally. If one of the bands playing is just sort of booking and promoting it amongst themselves, 
yeah, just like email, be nice, be courteous, ask what free nights, you know, don't be adamant. Oh, well, you know, I want a Saturday in February. Weekends <laughs> are, you know, they're the first to go. I mean, I remember talking to like our booker, Kay, uh, back in November, and she was saying that, you know, weekends are booked up right through like every Friday and Saturday was booked up right through until sort of like March or April next year. So yeah, don't keep pestering, pestering the booker about, you know, has a Saturday come up free? Has a Saturday come up free? Uh, I, prom I promote like, you know, our booker has a list of bands that are maybe wanting certain nights. So if there's cancellations, you know, they get first shout. Yeah, just, I mean, like a, a booker will have a, like our booker and, and bookers in most venues ask very little, um, you know, give us your tech specs, uh, get your contract, actually read the contract <laughs> and send it back, make sure the bands are all aware of what's going on in the contract. Because yeah, that's a common thing where we've got bands going, oh, well, you know, curfews, blah, 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 or we're allowed to do this, or we were told this. And you, like, you know, I'm always having to like, just repeat myself and be like, well, did you read the contract? Oh yeah, well, I sent it back. Yeah, but did you actually read it? <laughs> oh, 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 well, oh, well, that was the promoter. It's like, well, you know, you're part of the night as well, whether it's a band or a promoter, you know, you're part of the night. You're expected to know what's on that um, for obvious reasons, whether it's curfew, whether it's stuff about rider or, you know, the gear that we can supply versus what gear we expect you to bring. And especially for the bands, if it's an outside promoter, don't just presume that that promoter is knowing everything everything for you don't just turn up with your instruments and be like yeah cool is that the stage not a problem like know what's going on with the venue know you know what rules and restrictions and all that because yeah knowing all that kind of stuff it just it's less hassle and it, it, it doesn't cause tension with the staff or the promoter and it's the same thing with the promoters like keep your fucking bands in check like especially if it's an outside promoter um you know, you're you're the person that the manager, you know, the, the 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 that shift manager or the even just the bar staff. That's the person that they're probably going to be dealing with more. So you need to sort of keep an eye on the bands and make sure that they're behaving themselves and sticking to these guidelines and and whatever else. I mean, I've I've seen I've played gigs and seen a lot of gigs where you know the, the promoter it's it's like someone that's trying to wrangle a bunch of drunken toddlers. That is the job, essentially. But it is, and I mean, and it, <laughs> and, it, and, it, and it ends up, you know, it ends up looking bad on them because even though it's, you know, maybe the bands that are being fucking ignorant, this is this one guy that the the staff have to deal with and are expected to then convey everything else onto the bands. And if you don't look like you're in control of what's going on, then you know there's a chance you're just not going to get come back. You know, the the booker and the staff will remember that you were a hassle. Or that that was a pain in the arse, and and you just get blacklisted. And like you say, in, in Glasgow especially, it's it's not a huge music scene. There there will be Facebook groups, there will be WhatsApp things where bookers and venues keep in touch with each other. Yeah. And if there's any promoters or you know nights or bands that are a particular pain in the arse, like bookers have got no qualms about messaging each other and being like, oh hey, by the way, if so and so tries to book a gig with you, knock them back, blacklist them, total pain in the arse. Because yeah, venues and stuff just don't just don't want that hassle. No, because they they could have a successful night in that doesn't have a cunt dealing with it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's like you know we book these you know this promoter who you know it's not that they're always going to be taking the same bands along, but if you've had a promoter that are you know consistently causing hassle with either the bands they book or just you know their lack of just dealing with bands 
or even you know even if the bands aren't doing anything wrong but you know the the, the promoter is just not keeping them up to date with what's going on mm-hmm. so they don't know themselves not through any like malice but they just don't know themselves what's okay and what's not okay in a particular venue so yeah like venues and bookers will have no qualms about blacklisting you and just being like you know this person is a hassle to deal with don't book them so i mean talking a little bit more about 13th note it's a place i really like fucking cool it's a, a vegan restaurant and a bar upstairs and then you've got the venue downstairs is that getting you think that's a, a fair pitch for the the place for people that maybe haven't been yeah absolutely i mean we generally kind of maybe less so these days i mean when i first started working there i i'd only been in glasgow like six seven months mm-hmm. needed a job came out of like a shitty uh, like temp job thing working in a factory um needed work was adamant when i came to glasgow that i wasn't gonna go back working as a a doorman or a security guards uh, I, I had enough of that shit in aberdeen but i knew they were looking for door staff i knew it was you know it was an you know i wasn't having to work until three four in the morning i'd been in there i think i'd been in there like the, I think the first time i'd been in had been years before when it was the old band in aberdeen and i'd, I'd come down to Glasgow to hand out demos and you know look look for gigs and things like that. So I'd, I kind of knew the place and I'd been in there to get coffee and you know I'd go and sit and do the the wanky thing where I go and sit and read books of poetry and drink fucking coffee and all that <laughs> bullshit. In your in your early days, you go and sit and drink, sit and read Baudelaire and drink endless fucking coffees. <laughs> you know all the twatty things you do when you're fucking younger and all that shit. Um, so yeah, and, and it's always kind of been more of like alternative metal punk noise things i mean when i first started working there they used to do like these all-day noise gigs just what it sounds like i mean if if, if you're ever aware of bands like white house and, and merzbo and masona and all those kind of like sort of like crazy fucking noise things that like we used to put on like all-day things of them which were just fucking insane so yeah it's always definitely been more in like the kind of heavier and alternative music side of things and i think we've kind of fell out of that for a while uh, I don't know if it was just to do with like the old Booker or just the bands that we were getting in. I think a lot of like the heavier bands were sticking to certain places. So we had a bit less of that coming in. But uh, with our new Booker, K, who was one of the, the sign techs. Oh, I think I've met her before. So yeah, so Kay's yeah. taken over as the Booker and, and, and she's got more of a background in like noise and black metal and grindcore and a lot of things like that. So she's... I think she's more receptive to and it's not like you know it's it's not that we're not giving other bands opportunity i mean you know we'll have any kind of bands on but i think she's a bit more receptive that if there's decent heavy bands more interesting things uh and obviously decent people as well that are wanting to book in that that she's kind of putting them on more so we're definitely getting back to having the more metal and punk and and that kind of thing and yeah, I mean, depending who's where. I mean, same. I mean, we used to have a jukebox upstairs, and I mean, the jukebox was always full of like that similar kind of stuff as well. Obviously, we're now a bit more up to date, so we just run Spotify, and a lot of the staff there are musicians now as well. So, yeah, depending on what night is, depending who's working, like it, it kind of depends what the sort of you know, for want of a wankier word, the, the fucking ambience and the bar is. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> if I'm on, I, I will happily run four hours of. 80s Iron Maiden, I would imagine much to the detriment of, of everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, 
I'm a manager, so I can so I can fucking do what I want. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, everyone else can fuck off, right? Yeah. So it's either it's like, well, I'm working, so you you're getting three or four hours of reggae and dub, or you're getting three or four hours of eighties Iron Maiden. Pick one. <laughs> Pick one and fucking deal with it. Yeah. yeah. Deal with it. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. So one of the things um, when we I can't remember, it was a band we had called Skin the Snake that we we brought up from Derby. Hmm. And uh, their vocalist, Itan, he's vegan. And I remember when we were going to be playing there, I was like, oh, this place does vegan food. It's like really, really good. And he was like, oh, fucking sick. There was nowhere else on the tour that had like a, a vegan place like straight away, like near it, let alone in the actual venue. Yeah. Uh, and I remember like him and all the other guys were like super stoked by how like good the food was and stuff. So, you know, if you are in a band out there, you like, if you like food, whether it's vegan or not, uh, and you're looking for vegan food, like it's very good. It's well yeah, worth yeah. going yeah. hunting, having a, a good time, man. Because uh, it's a great place. I fucking love it. Uh, I recommend it to people all the time. One thing I'd like to ask everybody that comes on the show uh, is basically to try and find out like what's their number one passion that isn't music in their life. So, what would you say is that for you? I I, I really don't know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I I mean, if I'm not making or thinking about music than I'm listening to it or I'm reading books about it. Like the, the, the two most recent books I got was the biography of Sick of It All and the biography of HR from Bad Brains. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, if I'm not listening or reading about it, I mean, obviously I have my like hobbies. I mean, I, I used to be, yeah, I used to do a lot of boxing, um, martial arts and stuff like that when I was younger. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like hobbies, I collect. I do collect a lot of seventies and eighties sci-fi art. Okay, I probably, I probably spent stupid amounts of money on like all these vintage books from that kind of era that collect together like sort of pulp pa- paperback novel like covers that are done by these like amazing, amazing fucking artists. Uh, so yeah, I've I've bought a lot. I've spent a lot of money on books that collect all that kind of stuff together. I'm very into that sort of seventies, eighties sci-fi art, horror. I love horror. Love horror and sci-fi in general. Uh, always have. Big Star Wars geek, which I'm sure some people would find surprising. But yeah, I I I, I fucking love Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, um, I, it's been interesting you talk about this sci-fi and horror. I feel like there's like two types of people that like sci-fi specifically mm. and there's there's people that like like horror infused sci-fi yeah. and there's people that can't fucking stand horror and yeah. i am one of the people that can't stand horror it just well, I'm, I'm very i'm a pissy. fucking pussy as, as, <laughs> as much as i would say that like I'm, I'm a horror fan i'm i'm very picky about it i mean i know people that are like horror fans that will literally watch like you know any horror film that comes out same with science fiction but i'm i'm very picky mm-hmm. about what i watch um I mean, it's very rare that I'll be like, you know, 10 minutes into a film and be like, yeah, I'm turning this off. I just don't get that far. I'm very picky about like the stuff that I watch. I mean, yeah. whereas even though I'm saying I'm like, you know, a huge Star Wars fan, I think I'm one of those percentage of people that hates all the films apart from the original trilogy. Um, <laughs> yeah. But like seeing that, you know, it's, 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 it's definitely gotten better in the last few years. I mean, a lot, like a lot of the, uh, the TV series and the animated stuff is is has been has been fucking amazing, but uh, but yeah, the last three films and all that, like yeah, fuck that, they were awful. <laughs> oh, fair play, because yeah, I, I think there's definitely a lot of discourse around, like you know, especially uh, Last Jedi 
and uh what rise of skywalker yeah, and yeah those two in particular i feel like force awakens like most people were pretty happy with it because oh yeah definitely that, yeah. that potential yeah. definitely where it's just kind of like it was kind of a rehash of old storylines but yeah, for a new yeah. audience type a thing. Lot of, yeah there's a lot of fan service to like bring people back in and yeah. then kind of almost purposely kind of went oh well you know we've got you all interested again but fuck you <laughs> because <laughs> you know? I, I am like i'm not a deep star wars guy at all like i really enjoy star wars but it's it's kind of i, I was born in 1990 so yeah. like the prequel trilogy is mm-hmm. technically you know my star wars or whatever yeah, yeah and i remember i saw the phantom menace in the cinema it was one of the first films i'd seen in the cinema and i was like this is so cool and it's like you know the film aside as like a seven-year-old watching a yeah. film in the cinema yeah. it's pretty cool but like i never really watched the other two from the, the sort of prequel trilogy so it was kind of seeing you know the original trilogy on tv and stuff and i was like oh this is cool you know mm-hmm. it looks older but you know it's fine as a kid and then when the the new trilogy came out i, I really enjoyed it to be honest because as like popcorn cinema it's fine oh yeah definitely you know like there's a lot of flashy shit going on it looks cool but like i know that's you know there's one of my friends was like one of these people that any plot hole just drives them nuts. Oh yeah, yeah, and, a lot of things like that. But I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, Disney did that. They they, they kind of went back and retconned a lot. Like, all these all these amazing stories that sort of came out in like you know novel form or whatever in in like the eighties and the early nineties before the, the the prequel trilogy. And they just kind of went, oh, you, you know, that's not part of the actual story. Our yeah. new ones is what, and it's yeah, you can't kind of pick. You, you can't have that kind of universe and sort of thing established and then just turn around and be like yeah that's that's not canon yeah because i mean people that have like a certain age and like people of my age as well that you know have been invested and grew up with that kind of stuff to turn around and be like yeah they're just stories they're not actually part of it so you know we can just put in and change whatever we want now yeah mm-hmm. it doesn't, doesn't work like that i know there was definitely a lot of anger around a lot of the, the sort of novels that came out mm. um like admiral throne like all that sort yeah, of characters yeah. and stuff a lot of people i know that are into star wars were very upset about the kind of the culling of a lot of what people really liked about it even though it wasn't yeah. the movies yeah. and i think it's not not my place i don't i'm not a star wars guy so i can't tell you but i definitely feel like there's a little bit lost in terms of it like people have built this universe in their heads and on the screen and in pages for like 40 years yeah you know you know it's like you, you kind of can't go oh half of it doesn't exist now and then but you know how some of it will be reintroduced and they'll do their own take on it and i get that but yeah yeah it's it, it's definitely ingrained especially the more passionate a fan base is the more likely it is to be toxic as fuck about everything oh absolutely and, <laughs> I, know? and I think that's one of the things as well that I mean, a lot of the star wars fans have kind of like adhered to too much is that I mean, I, I like the kind of world building of that and the whole space opera, but it needs to move away from the same characters and yeah, that same era. They like there's you know, like there's there's this whole fictional universe galaxy that they could be and eras that they could be taking stories or making up stories for and, and brand new characters. Um but they just keep coming back. Like yeah, hopefully I think there's like more trilogies, but I think they're moving on, and it's it's not going to. Yeah, they, they, as much as I like the characters, they need to move on from Vader and Obi Wan and Yoda and Skywalker and and all that. Like that's 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 
done you've milked that enough <laughs> over yeah. four years you, you need to move on from stuff which has kind of been at least a bit better with some of the series whereas they're maybe still in in that part of the canon but they're sort of taken out to other places and it's just been really good writing it's just they've, they've kind of gotten away from too much fan service mm-hmm. and it's gone back to just just good writing good characters and, and good storytelling yeah i really enjoyed the first season of mandalorian i think yeah. it was like the first two episodes of of mando season two but just like i'm shit at keeping up with stuff yeah and i know that andor seems to i think people seem to be quite good on andor and i know it that, was it was it yeah. was quite slow for the first couple of episodes and then it i think before you realize i mean if, if if you're into that kind of stuff i think before you realized that you were actually into totally it. invested in it even though you've been like oh well these first like two episodes were a bit slow but they'd set it up in a way that hooked you in and set up characters that you're kind of like, well, you know, what's going to happen with them and what are they going to do and where might this go? And definitely, so yeah, the series has been coming out. Um, the Obi-Wan series was a bit disappointing from like the kind of older fan or being an older fan. It was a little bit disappointing. They, I think they could have done more with it. And as much as I'm not that fan, that big a fan of the prequels, um, having you McGregor back as, as Obi-Wan was... Uh, that's cool, I think. It was nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's fucking awesome. He kind of brought it back because was, I, I remember watching the, I think it was like the, some of the Clone Wars cartoons. Now, I'd always been made out that, you know, when, when Obi-Wan was younger, he was a, he was a fucking badass. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then some of these things, like, they the, the make him a bit wet and he's a bit weak and he's, he's very unsure and he's getting his ass handed to him a lot of the times. So it was nice to kind of have one, have you and McGregor coming back for that role and to also kind of toughen him up a little bit to put more of what you be- believed he was supposed to be like as like a as like a young younger Jedi. But it's one of those sort of universes where there's so much stuff to explore, um, yeah. and it's also it's the one where you can do like a clean slate type show. Yeah. yeah. But you can have references to places. Yeah. And things like that, and then that is like the little bits of fan service that you. Well, that's yeah, need. yeah, yeah. I think once you've milked all those things, I mean, it, you know, regardless, it's, it's the same with certain games, like sequels for games and things. That hundred percent, yeah. Um, that even if you don't have, if you're not using those same handful of characters, they're always going to involve, you know, certain planets or or ships or even just like terminology for for this and that. That you know, the, I think like you know the the studios and stuff don't realize that that's what a lot of the fans are into it's the world it's not just those characters and that that same story that they're going to follow if you know fucking ad nauseum it's it's the world building and the world that it's set in and you definitely get that i mean yeah i mean like you're saying with games and stuff it's it's the same with that that's that's what kind of uh, brings people back to it yeah and even other like franchises like like a variant like the the like the first alien film things like that you can, you know, you can stop trying to bring Ripley back into it and things, but but you're always still gonna have the same beats as long as you do like decent storytelling. You're always gonna have the same beats that are gonna keep the fans interested. Just yeah. depends how well you treat the source material, and it, and the, that same thing applies with Star Wars, definitely. Definitely agree with that. Well, I'd just like to thank you for coming on the show today. It's been great talking to you again, and hopefully we'll we'll see you again. Uh, hopefully up north. Um, do you maybe want to give people final plugs on where they can find you guys? Yeah, uh, so uh, as far as the band goes, uh, so we have the, the, the Rot EP, 
de- it's technically a demo. Uh, I mean, that's available on Bandcamp, Spotify, all those usual kind of things. It's also up on YouTube. You find us on Facebook. Like I say, we're planning on, we should have the new EP, a new four or five track EP. Go get in and record that in the next few months to so hopefully have that out by the summer. If you're familiar with our stuff, it's, it's different, but it's more of the same. There's, there's probably, if anything, I would say there's maybe a bit more thrash influence going on with some of the tracks. So a bit faster. I mean, we've definitely still got like the kind of mid-tempo and the grooves and all that. We're always going to have that, but there's definitely a, a bit more of a thrash, a bit more D-beat kind of stuff going on to it. So probably more, a bit more thrash, but more punk and hardcore sounds that are coming out of it. So yeah, we've got that few gigs penciled in for early next year i mean we'll just we'll we'll keep on top of social media and all that kind of stuff once they've been confirmed but yeah that's kind of it for now awesome well thank you very much for joining us make sure you check out the band everyone and um, we'll speak to you again after a while